Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Okay. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> My daddy says he's tipping his hat off to Soraya Hastings for her story. Soraya is a survivor of human trafficking. She's a speaker and the author of No More Games. Today on Better Call Daddy, she is not playing around. Soraya, welcome. So I heard you say on an interview that a lot of times you're asked a question at the end, like, is there anything that wasn't asked or anything that you would like to cover? And you responded that you would like to include Jesus in the podcast because Jesus is why you're still here and Jesus is really important to you and that there's a difference between real and fake Christians. I want to start with that. Let's go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a couple people mad at me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you go have a you go have a couple people that that be controversial on this. <laughs> Let's talk about what a real and fake Christian are. Because I don't I don't hold back. I, I don't you know I was in the streets for all my life, and you had to be real. It was either go hard or go home. So if you playing with your if you're playing with your life, then you ain't a real Christian. What does that mean? First of all, I wasn't always a Christian. So understand, let me get it all out there. Like, so I'm coming from a person who's only been a Christian for almost 10 years. Okay. Wasn't raised around the church, nothing like that. So for the last 10 years, I have learned what Christianity is. What I do is I look at Christianity as I did the world. Meaning this, when you deal with people who have territories, right? You have people who've been in gangs. You have people who you can only be with one sector of, you know, if you're black, you can only marry black. If you're white, you can only marry white. You know, you can't do any, you, you stay with your group, right? So there's that, that split, right? So what happens is you go hard for whatever you believe in, right? You don't care what anybody says. This is your belief, this is what you stand for. This is who you are. And no matter what anybody says, right? So that's the same as a Christian. If a real Christian, that's what, the, there's a difference between a real Christian and a fake one. A real one acknowledges that they are sinful, first of all. Second of all, that they are willing to humble themselves and admit when they're wrong. And then not only that, but do what Jesus did and do life with people. So some people, what they do is they say, oh, I'm a Christian, but their fruits, and I just read this in the Bible, don't match up with what they say. Meaning it, it, it says scripturally that we are supposed to bear fruit. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing good fruit? Or are you bearing bad fruit? Meaning this, if I tell you, I'm a Christian, but for, and this is my belief. This is how I believe. Now, other Christians might say something different. This is just me, but it says scripturally that our bodies are the temple. So why are we consuming cigarettes? 
scripture says that we are supposed to be in the world and not of the world. So why do people curse that say that they're Christian? We should be set apart. People should know that you're a Christian by your actions, not by what you say. Because in the streets, it's the same way. You can say a thousand things, but what you do on the streets hold more weight than what you say. As they say on the street, your words hold no water. That's the saying, your words hold no water, meaning there's no backing. There's nothing that can say that what you say is true. Like for me, I'm not perfect, right? I'm far from it. But at work, I work at a hospital. I work in the HR department and people literally will come to me. VPs, I've heard executive directors say to me, I've heard department managers say to me, there's something different. You always have, we wear masks. They're like, you always have a smile on your face. My manager just today said to me, these people just be telling you all they business. They just, <laughs> I'm HR. I'll be just, hi, how you doing? They start telling me all their business. Who done, what's what, where's going, all this stuff. And I sit there and they go, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I trust you. That's not me because me 10 years ago, I was ripping and running the streets, prostituting, hustling, trying to make ends meet, trying to survive. 10 years later, I'm sitting in an HR helping people. Okay, you got a problem. Let me help you. Let me figure out. There are things that my manager says, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. There's no way. I said, well, it, it's my grace card. I give one grace card a year, one grace card. <laughs> I give more than that, but for the for my job, I got to do one because everybody will want a grace card. But I literally sat down and I made sure that somebody had appointments. And I went beyond making sure that their paperwork was filled out, all this stuff. People said to me, even the manager was like, you've done more than what the other person used to work here did. But that's what I would want done for me. That's what I mean about a real Christian. One who is willing to stick up for what they believe in. One who is willing to stand on the word of God. No matter what, you know, I've been, I've been fired. I worked at a different hospital and I was fired for my religious beliefs. No way. Yep. Sure was. So just like if you can't talk about it on a podcast and you can't talk about it at work, it's, there's going to be a problem. It's on paper. It ain't like they just voiced it, but I literally can pull out a piece of paper and show you. I showed my pastor. I showed my uh, director of my, of the program that I volunteer at and everything. And, and, and everything, they're like, we could, we could go sue. We gonna get a lawyer. And I told them, I said, no, nope. I said, I'm not going to do it. My God is my defender. Cause I was mad. I was hot as a hornet. And I said, okay, you know what? I can really, the, the person who did it came, ha ha, how you doing? Sir? Ha ha, all laughing. And I was madder than a hornet. And I had to contain myself because at the end of the day, a Christian don't just lash out and things like that. I excused myself. I prayed and I said, okay, God, this is you. And in my heart, I heard, I am your defender. And so I went, I, I left that job, went to another job. And for the last six months, I got hired in this job at the hospital. And they asked me, well, why did you leave the hospital that you were at before? And I told them, I said, because of my religious beliefs. They go, what? I said, yeah, because of my religion. They said, well, what was the actual reason for the?" I said, because somebody approached me and asked me that or said, I have a problem. Can I ask for your advice? I said, sure. Everybody knew I was a Christian. I don't hide what I believe in. 
because don't know nobody else hide what they believe in. So I said, sure. And they said, I'm having problems with my girlfriend. I said, well, biblically, it is not correct to be in a same-sex marriage or in a same-sex relationship. And I told my, my current boss that in the interview. She goes, well, you know other people. I said, oh, yeah, that's fine. If that's how they want to live their life, that's fine. When you come and ask my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. Don't ask and I won't give. So then when that happened, I got the job. Not only did I get the same amount of pay that I got from my other job, but now I just got a raise. I'm so happy for you. That's great. And that just let me know my God is my defender. I love everyone. The sin I don't love. It's not like I'm coming against people who are, are in same sex relations because I was in the same sex. I was a prostitute. So that meant that I did things with and had and had all that. I was I've been there. But at the end of the day, the root issue of the reason why I was in, in the same sex relationships and things like that was because I did not feel like I was worth or capable of being in a relationship with a man. Because I was told at a young age that you would only be married in, if you were in a pimp and hoe relationship and that you would only amount to lay on your back and you are always, you know, you're fat and nobody will care about you. And then to have pimps throughout my years tell me, don't nobody love you but me. And, the only re- and look at you, look how fat you are. Nobody's going to accept you. So, okay, why not get in the same sex? Why not? And I had to realize what the root issue was and what the root problem is and I had to face and I had to deal with it and the way I dealt with it was looking to Jesus learning who he is and who I am in him people don't know their identities people go off of whatever whatever is in fashion whatever the social media vibe is for that 30 seconds but do they know who they are and if they don't know who they are, then they will always constantly have issues and problems in their life. And so I had to learn who I am in Christ. And that's when he started telling me, you're the apple of my eye. You're the daughter of the most high God, that he's a king of kings. So I'm a princess to a king, that I'm the bride to the bridegroom. And I said, okay, there's a scripture in Isaiah, I think Isaiah 54, five, it says that he is your creator and your husband. I said, all right, God. He goes, I know you by your name. I know the number of hairs on your hair. I don't care even if this is fake hair. (laughs) This is too. (laughs) He knows the number of hairs of your head. And that's why I was like, okay, when the the rubber hits the road, are you going to let people know, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't stand for this. I don't believe in abortion. I don't do this. All right, girl, let's take it back to the beginning. I mean, have you always believed in God as a child? Uh, I mean, I knew there was a Jesus. I mean, I had family that's a Catholic and I had family that were Jehovah's Witness and I had family that were Christian. But, you know, I knew that there was a God. I just knew that there was a God. That's all I knew. When I was 18, 19, I went to all different types of, I I learned about Hindu and Muslims and Sikhs and, you know, different religions because I was just going everywhere because I was just, I wanted something that was real, something that I could tangibly say, wow, okay, this is, this is it. From the day that I accepted Christ to now. God has blown 
my mind away. I respect everybody's religion. Like I said, I wasn't a Christian before. As I tell the women that I, I that I take off that I help off the streets and stuff, what's the worst case of you trying Jesus? What worst can happen? Like you can either stay where you are, or you can see Him change you. Because that's what was presented to me when I became a Christian. I just had a car accident. The man hit me at 40 miles an hour from behind, pushed my whole back end into my backseat of my car. Thankfully, my child was in the backseat and I had a bruise on my arm and that was it. Glass was shattered everywhere. People thought I was cut up and stuff and everything. And I had just fixed my car and I had prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, this year, I said, Lord, if you could just help me either fix my car or get a new car. And I had just fixed it and I put a, an answered prayer next to you fix my car. And then I have now a new car. I said, God, you did not only fix the car, but you gave me a new one on top of that. My son, the pandemic's going on. Kids can't be in school. You got kids that did hybrid online. My son, since the pandemic started, he was only out of school for a month. He's been in face person since the pandemic started. I went to go try to pay for his daycare and stuff, after school care and stuff. And they said, oh, somebody's already paid for it. I said, what? Wait, what? So when he says that he will take care of his children, he means that. And that's why I try to tell people, try him. He says in the scriptures, taste and see that I'm good. Try him out. See who he is. He says scripturally, Isaiah or in Deuteronomy, he says that he is not a man to lie. Then he backs it up in Isaiah where he says, Isaiah 55, 11 says that what goes forth from his mouth will not come back void. So whatever he says he's going to do, he's going to do it. It's in his timing though. It's not in our timing. We ain't, he's not a microwave God. He ain't no genie or whatever. He does it for his glory and for expanding his kingdom. So at the end of the day, you sit there and I can sit here and tell you the praise report and the testimonies over and over he's done. I went through Bible college with zero dollars, zero dollars, went through a program, graduated program for, was in a program for two years, had no job, was in that program for two years, went to college. I've graduated with an associate's degree in biblical theology. And not only that, but I graduated where I have zero debt. That's a blessing. I yeah. have a question though. Yes. Where was God when you were prostituting? He was still there. There was a time and I write it in my book that I was having a conversation with a man. I needed to make like $400. I think he wanted me to do oral sex with him. And I said, okay, for $400. And he says, no, for 40. I said, no, 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 for 400. And so we're going back and forth. And after all, I said, I just, I, I walked, I got out the truck and I said, I'm done. And I got to a corner and I sat down and I looked at my phone and my phone was on. And I was like, hello, hello. And I was like, what's going on? And I was like, hello, hello. And I hung up about a month or so or two months go by or whatever. And I finally, to the, I was trying to get out of the situation because I had left and went to another pimp and stuff. And so I was done. And um, I called my family and my parents said, we knew because we heard your voice. We had got your voicemail. We just couldn't find you. So they heard that whole conversation that I had in the truck with the man. How does that make you feel? At that time, I was like, uh, you know, I didn't know, what, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. But I was homeless and I was trying to survive. You know, my family didn't want to accept me back in, so they didn't want to, you know, bring me back in. So because they didn't, they kicked me out and didn't want me back in their house. I had to do what I had to do to make money. I had nowhere to live. 
Why did they kick you out? Because I was uh, using drugs. How did you first discover drugs? It had been around me for since I was a kid, but I didn't start using until I was yeah, 15, 14, 15. And I had used, you know, all types, LSD, shrooms, acid, all the stuff in the beginning. And then at the time, the, the big thing was ecstasy pills. When I left, it became Molly's, but it was ecstasy pills that were what I was using and stuff. And that's how I got using drugs and stuff. What so was after was, ecstasy, you said? Molly's. Oh, I don't Molly's. even know what that is. Yeah, it's like a, a height heighten they got more different types of drugs inside the it's an ecstasy like on steroids mm, that's what crazy was, at 15 yeah but you mentioned too that you were hearing some pretty harsh things from your parents talk to me about what your parents were like my family we were a close family to the point where like everybody lived in the same house so my cousins, everybody, aunts, uncles, everyone just lived in the same house. But I didn't get to see my mom a lot. My mom was gone. She was working two jobs. My dad was in college. You know, it was just, I was constantly by myself. My All my family, all, you know, close kindreds, all my peoples, they would just, you know, disperse and stuff and go and I would just be by myself. I was always by myself. I learned how to cook. I remember I used to have to walk to the bus stop. It was like a mile and a half away. And I was like six, seven years old. And I would have to walk by myself and everything. And so, you know, that was just stuff that I did. You know, I had to cook dinner, you know, breakfast, dinner for myself and stuff. Because my family was never really around. Or they were using drugs and they were, you know, off doing their own thing. What about school? Did you have friends? I did have a friend, um, but she killed herself. So, and that was when I was in the sixth grade. No. So, yeah. So it was just kind of like. I'm so sorry. That's really tragic. Yeah. You know, I always felt like I would get close to one. And if I got, you know, something would always happen. You know, something tragic would always happen. Somebody would, they would either, you know, die or they would move away. And I, I would be stuck by myself again neighborhood friends their father would beat their mom so I would see that and so they would run over to my house or vice versa stuff would happen at my house and I would run over to their house and stuff and then you know we we moved and people left and it's just you know and I just I I just realized I said I'm just by myself you know I remember I used to tell people you know you got you got family and everything at the end of the day I just got me as I grew older my family wanted nothing to do with me. At a young age, not knowing myself and looking for love and having a child for so young, you know, I write in my story, you know, my book about that part of my life. And, you know, I, I gave my, my child to my, my parents and stuff and my family. And, you know, I walked away from my, my oldest son's life because I was looking for love. I never turned back. You know, I never looked back or anything. You know, I just walked away at the age of two. I think the last time I physically saw my son was when he was four, you know, and he's almost 18 now. And, you know, I haven't spoken to him or nothing. I just kind of just walked away and just said, you know what, I, I couldn't. The stuff I put my child through, him seeing things that he wasn't supposed to see that I did. You know, I just said, you know what? I told my family, you keep them. And I'm just, I chose drugs and men over my oldest son. And so when I ended up pregnant with my younger one, you know, that's when I went into the woman that I met. And I told her I wanted to abort my child. 
because of the fact that I did not want either one a girl because I had been molested since the age of two. So I didn't want a girl because I didn't want her to go through the same things I had went through. But I didn't want a boy because I didn't want, I really, I, I could handle a boy because I had a son, but I really couldn't mentally, emotionally deal with the fact that, you know, I was trying to replace, you know, and I, and you can't replace another person. <laughs> There's no replacing. So it's taken me almost, excuse me, 10 years to really love my younger son for who he is, you know, not for what I assume he should be like his other brother. And it's taken me a while to, okay, you know, if God willing, God wants me to see my son, great. You know, if not, I'm okay with it because there's consequences to every action, whether it's good or bad. You know, I think of King uh, David in the Bible. He repented, asked God for forgiveness, everything. God gave him that forgiveness, but he still had to deal with the consequences of his son trying to commit murder on him. You know, they tried to kill him, you know, because you're talking about a man who had sex with another, with another man's wife and had that husband murdered. But yet in Psalms, he says that God says to David that you're a man after God's own heart, but yet he committed murder, adultery, you know, all the stuff lied to a prophet, all the stuff, but God said, because at the end of the day, when you read about King David, he repents and asks God to forgive him and God shows him his mercy. Have you ever tried to reach out to your son? No, my family and I have an understanding that I will not reach out to him until he's 18. If you had such a lonely childhood and felt alone, how could you give your son to them? Because it was either that or the system. Hmm. Do you feel like he had a different existence than you did? And have you spoken to them about that? No, no. My, my family told me never to don't call. That's when tough. I, yeah. My family always wanted a boy. When I had my oldest son, uh, people actually thought that my mother was his mother and that my father was his dad, you know, and I would have to tell people, no, that's, that's my child, you know, that's, Whoa. My but you know, but you they, were young, right? How, how yeah. old were you? I had him at 20. I knew that, okay, they wanted a son. They got a son, you know, now maybe their, his life will be better than mine. You know, is how I looked at it. I remember one time years later, down the road, my father, you know, called me and said to me, oh, I know why, why you're stupid. And I said, okay, why is that? He said, oh, well, your son knows how to read really well. And he knows how to do math really well. You don't because we forgot to tell you that you had a whole bunch of seizures in your brain. And you were supposed to die. What okay. in the absolute hell? <laughs> I said, okay. I said, thanks for letting me know that. I'm glad that my son is well and he does good in school. That's what I said to my father and I hung up. I am so sorry. Damn it. You know. <laughs> that is hard to hear. It is. But you know, you know, people, I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, when people hear that I've been, you know, human trafficked and stuff, they say, oh, I'm sorry. And I, and I don't know how to respond to that. Like, thank you. I, like, I don't know how to respond when people say that. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, talk to me about, even that world, like, I don't think people know what to say or know what that is or what that's like. Like, you got to really paint that freaking picture. I'll give you a, a recent 
example. I was on the streets in, in, in Boston the other day. We were driving around and I was explaining to them what to look for and what we're doing. And so I told them, I said, we're about to go do a sweep, which means we're going to ride up and down the streets and we're going to go look for women who could potentially look like prostitutes and we're going to go and get them out. And so I see one of the girls, this girl out of nowhere, she, you know, has a purse real thin. She's walking. And I said, Oh, there she is. So I made a U-turn and I come back around and I told him, I said, keep your eyes on her. Don't lose her. So I made another U-turn and I said, where she at? She, he said right there. So I got out the car. I told him, I said, don't get out the car. I said, because pimps don't usually get out car. Now, mind you, what I'm explaining to you is things that I remember. Now I've been out of the game for 10 years. So I'm going to catch you up on some stuff that I've learned. I get out the car and I go to her and the universal language, and this is how you could tell if they're prostitutes or in that lifestyle, is the words, a baby girl. No real woman will allow you to call her a baby girl. But if a girl is in that lifestyle, she'll respond. Sure enough, she looked up, she said, what, what's, what's going on? I said, oh, yo, is you, is you, you know, so-and-so, because I was looking for a girl because somebody had called me. And asked if I could go find her. And I said, yes, I would. So, I, you know, I said, oh, yo, you, you know this girl? And she goes, no, I don't. I said, are you sure, baby girl? Are you sure? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I said, I said, you good? And she goes, no, I'm not good. And she was leaning over. And I said, well, what's up? What's wrong? What's going on? She said, my boyfriend, you know, he he's having sex with another woman and texting me and stuff and showing me the pictures and he's mad at me. And I said, yeah. Now, the thing about it is when I was in in the lifestyle, it used to be pimps. At the end of me leaving out, the pimps started changing and talk about they're my boyfriend. And I said, no, you ain't my boyfriend. You my pimp because you take my money. They said, no, 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 I'm your boyfriend. So this girl was like, oh, my boyfriend. And I said, I said, okay. I said, I could get you out if you want to get out. She goes, I want to. She looked like she weighed about 90 pounds and she started crying and she said, I can't. She goes, I, I can't leave him. I said, I understand. I said, I've been there. She goes, did you love yours? I said, yeah, I sure did. I loved him. And I was willing to do whatever for him. She goes, that's how I feel too. She said, how do I get, how do I get out? I said, all you got to do is just walk away. So I can't, I got a child. She goes, I don't even know how to be a mom. And everything in me had to hold back my tears because I knew what she was going through. I understood because I was there at one time in my life. And I said to her, I said, it's going to be okay. And I said, can I hug you? And when I embraced her in, she smelled like death. I can't even explain to you the smell of it. It's almost like her, her bones were decaying right there. It was almost like I was holding a dead person in my arms because she smelled like death. And I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed with her and she just cried. She goes, did you get your son back? I said, yes, I have my younger son with me. She goes, I really want to be like you. I said, you can be. And she goes, but I can't leave. I said, here's my number. When you're ready, call me. And she walked away and I walked away. And at the end of the day, that's the reality. You're really looking at a woman in a domestic violence relationship. And that's why I try to tell people. So when people say, I'm sorry, it's not about being sorry. It's, wow, I can't believe you were able to make it through. Now that I could say thank you to. Because there's days that I sat, I sit there and I think, how, how did I make it through that? 
how did I walk out of that hotel room without being killed? Because I didn't disrespected some man or something. How how did I make it out of, you know, off the streets without getting shot up? I talk about the horrific things that happened to me because I had to get it out. Because the horrific things that happened to me, I carried it for so long, you know, but getting raped in an abandoned building, abandoned house, and then fighting my way to get off and get these two men off of me and was able to start running and all of a sudden I hear gunshots going off and they're whizzing past me and I'm trying to run and duck and not get killed because these two men just raped me that to me sounds like death too right so I tell people and that's and I get that from from Jesus that he that we are overcomers see I survived being a prostitute I survived living in that human trafficking world. I survived that. So when they say you're a survivor of human trafficking, really, no, I'm an actual overcomer because I didn't survive that life. And now almost 10 years, I've now exceeded more than what I have ever done in my life. What you said to that girl that you held that smelled like death I feel like you are an angel in this world. That is freaking crazy. Mm. I literally like every hair on my arm stood up when you were describing that situation. And I understood what she meant. I didn't know how to be a mother because at the end of the day, when I was 20, I didn't know how to be a mom because all I knew was how to go make money for my pimp. I never was taught the fundamentals of what a woman is like the fundamentals of being a family is that unity is that that covenant and so when you dismantle all that you get a child who don't know who they are confused on what's going on with themselves and their family and all these things and you put all that stuff together and you end up what goes on the days when people say uh you know i was talking to because i work with the youth and stuff and one of the youth kids i've been you know, mentoring and talking to them since they were like 15. They said to me the other day, I I called them up. I said, what's going on? And they were saying to me, they're like, you know, I'm ADHD. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you're not that. I said, you choose to think that that's what you are. I said, but if you believe that, then that's who you are. You know, people say, oh, you can't get over PTSD and you have to take medicine. Let me tell you, I had PTSD when I first came out of human trafficking. That happened, that went on for about a good six months. I haven't had a PTSD uh, since then and don't take any medication because there's that is incredible. But there's a scripture that says that God renews your mind, that he washes you. So if you read God's word, if you read the Bible and not just carry around just to be carrying it around, but if you actually read it, it actually changes your thinking of who you are. You're making me want to pick up some Psalms. Damn. I've fallen off the bandwagon there too. That's crazy. How can people break free? Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's how I did it. Talk to me about literally how you walked away from your pimp, how you got out of the game. How can other women do that? And how big of a burden? And talk to me about the enormity of the problem with human trafficking that's going on. Human trafficking is the number two most lucrative business in the United States. And in the world, I will give you, and I'm speaking of my own experiences, okay? It's not my own experience. I can only speak of my own experience. In one day, I made $9,000. It's a very lucrative business. 
you have people who don't realize that it is as easy as a text message to get somebody caught up into that lifestyle. The biggest thing is college kids. And when they text message, then they say, you know, oh, are you looking to pay off your student loans? It's as easy as that. And they go and they are off because they dress as if they're going to a, you know, interview and then they're off and they take them and you never see them again. You know, they travel and stuff. The problem about it is, and I was explaining to somebody, one out of four women will want to come out. And that's because they, they make it so comfortable. Like it's a, that's, that's a normal lifestyle. It's very hard to convince people. Like I told you about that young girl, I'm not going to sit there and beg her to come out, but it's very hard to convince them that there's something better. So for me, it took me being pregnant. I was done. I was uh, trying to commit suicide. I was smoking a lot of crystal meth and I was just trying to just, I was trying to overdose. I really was. I ended up in the hospital and they told me that I was pregnant. And I said, you're a lie. (laughs) That can't be true. So they uh, did a blood test and they said, yep, you're pregnant. And so I left the hospital. I called my pimp. And I told my pimp that I was pregnant. What came out of his mouth was, don't tell no one that you're pregnant by me. Stop telling people that you're pregnant by me. Because I was calling around trying to get a hold of him. Then the next thing he said to me was, where's my $1,500? And I said, dude, I just told you that I'm pregnant by, you know, I'm carrying your kid. He said, I don't care. Where's my $1,500? You told me you was going to have my $1,500 last week. And that's when I said, I'm done. That's literally, I just said, I said, I'm done. And from that moment on, I then went to domestic violence shelters and they, you know, moved me around and stuff and everything. And I ended up in New England. And then when I came to New England, I went to an AA meeting and they were using heroin. And then that's when, you know, they say in the AA meetings, you know, find a higher power and all that stuff. And I said, and I remember I was walking home one day, some people had just used heroin and stuff and everything. And I said, God, if you're real. I said, you didn't bring me all the way out here to use again. I'm not trying to use. I want a better life. And so that's when I met the lady who shared this, uh, the gospel with me and gave me the salvation message. And, you know, I renounced the devil and, you know, I claimed that I was a Christian. And from that moment on, I went into a program. I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say about all of this. I want to keep in touch with you. And I did see that like, You've been getting active in my Facebook group and I want to know you more. So let's please keep in touch. Let people know how they can buy your book, join your Facebook community. Well, if you have any questions or you want to get a hold of me, I have a um, website. It's called Soraya, S-A-R-I-A-H dot info. You can go there and click on the link to get um, purchase my book, or you can go to Amazon, any platform. It's $8.99. Um, so I don't charge. It's just that you're hearing my voice. Um, you can get me at Facebook, uh, Soraya Hastings. You can message me any questions, prayer, if you need prayer, or or if you have someone that you think is out there and you want them saved, please get a hold of me. I do have connections around the United States that they will help you or get your friend, family member, whoever. Uh, I personally go out on the streets and I go find them. And I have also teams around the world that are around the United States that I know. You are amazing. Thank you. 
Amen. I love you. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. That was okay. quite a reflection that uh, Soraya gave us. Soraya is almost where she's in search for the Mashiach or Messiah. The funny part is, is that can't we all learn to do the right thing and set the guidance of what Mashiach or Messiah should be able to do or be? And it's where we have to overcome sometimes the greatest adversities to be able to rise above it and be able to really penetrate and do real good in the world. What's interesting is that from a very young age, she was abused. Countless amount of times we see that when someone's been abused, it just destroys their self-confidence. And when it happens at a very early age, you are on such a downward spiral that how does anybody ever recover from that? We live in a society where abuse has been at the ultimate low, so to speak. And when that happens, people just get swallowed up. And it's like they're in a black hole and you just keep going down and down and down and down until there's some way that you can reach bottom and be able to get your footing to climb out of the worst nightmare. And how many times do we see that happen? People that can climb out of the, this worst nightmare have a chance to achieve great things. And yet others just get swallowed up and fall by the wayside and become an unfortunate casualty in the game of life. Is there any part of her story that really jumped out at you? What jumped out at me was that she went on a mission where someone reached out to her and said that the answers still, and, and I think you know that I believe in this, that sometimes you have to find the almighty. You have to be able to find the words that God tries to give us the outline so we can live our lives fruitfully. Isn't it funny how she also mentioned that part of God's ways is not to talk about it, not to show off about it, but to have some humility and be humble and just do it. And where you don't have to be paid, you don't have to be uh, complimented, you don't have to be put on a pedestal or demand credit, is that if you do the right things and you follow God's path, that that should be reward enough. And some people get it and some people don't. And where you really gain confidence and where you really gain astuteness to the world is by overcoming these adversities and showing a light path so that others can see it and do it too. And the more people that do it, the world becomes a better place one step at a time, one brick at a time, one sand on the beach at a time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.